We can be, buddy. We can. We can leave right now. We can escape throughout that door and be done. But we won't. We won't. We're here. We're staying. So just do a good job. I'm going to. He insists. He's three. He insisted to sit in the service today. So we'll see how that goes. But um, he can be a big boy. He can be a big boy. So, all right. Well, thank you, Kevin, for the very nice introduction. It's good to be here again. It's good to bring the word from Colossians this morning. You said it's, it's going to be up there, right? Okay. So I'll read, I'm going to read the passage. It's Colossians 1.24 through 12.15. I'll pray and then we'll, we'll jump in and see what Paul has to say for us this morning in uh, this text. This off-challenging text, but I, I, think, I think what he's saying is clear and I think what he's saying is for us to, di- to digest and know this morning. So um, let's, let's dig into the word. Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 5. <clears throat> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who've not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And I lost my spot. (laughs) So... Yeah, okay, which is Christ. In whom all and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Paul who wrote to the Colossians, and then we get to be beneficiaries of his good word to the Colossians and read it today and apply it to our lives and be encouraged and be blessed by what you wrote through your apostle. And we thank you for his words, and we pray that you bless this morning. May we have ears to hear as your words proclaimed in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is such a fascinating passage because the way Paul speaks you know, is quite contrary to our typical human experience. You know, we don't often rejoice in our sufferings, at least I don't. You know, we don't offer, often do that. What we tend to do is, is avoid suffering at all costs, right? We want to mitigate suffering. We suppress our suffering, and we pretend that sometimes we're not suffering when, in fact, we are. We hide it. We conceal it. But Paul rejoices 
in his sufferings, why? And, you know, we have to clear it up initially. Paul's not a masochist, right? He's not this guy who's reveling in his pain like some weirdo. He's not, he's not a weird apostle. He's a normal apostle. He's not searching out suffering because he just loves suffering so much. But he's rejoicing in his present circumstances, even if it is suffering. And here's the key words of the text, for your sake, for the sake of Christ's body, which is us, which is the church. Paul knows that the mission he is on is a mission that, was, that he's been called by God to do. So instead of getting frustrated by his circumstances, he endures and he continues to press on because he knows that his suffering is not an end of itself, but his suffering coupled with his perseverance tells a larger story. A story that says faithfulness brings more joy even if our circumstances are grim. And this story is rooted in the good news of this new kingdom that Jesus is establishing by his death and resurrection. And that story that Paul is understanding, he's called to carry forward. And again, these words that are important for your sake. But this passage is saying more than simply Paul is rock solid in his mission and nothing will stand in his way, not even suffering. And while Paul is the stalwart force for the sake of the gospel, and we wouldn't expect anything less from Paul to, to push through any problems that come his way, I think this passage is actually revealing the secret or a secret of Christian living. That suffering isn't an obstacle for Paul, but suffering is the avenue for Paul to communicate and exemplify his love for the Colossians. Notice here, you know, why Paul rejoices in its suffering. It's, it's always others focused. It's never, again, just this delight in pain. It's always other focus. He's not rejoicing in suffering for his own sake. He's always looking beyond himself to see, you know, what sort of fruit this suffering is producing. Why? Because suffering for the sake of another is characteristic of none other than Jesus himself. Jesus' whole mission and ministry through his death, through his resurrection, and even now, though he's not suffering now, he's, what is he doing? He's interceding. He's striving. He's constantly thinking of others. He's thinking of us. And so Paul, as an apostle of this interceding king sitting on the throne of God, knows something about the uniqueness of suffering that he's trying to convey to the Colossians and he's trying to convey to us as we read this text this morning, if in Christ Paul can use the formative experience of suffering to bless the body, he will do that, and he will rejoice while he's doing it. And so, so often, as we, I said earlier, we avoid suffering. We mask it. You know, we clothe ourselves with distractions to pretend that this really isn't a burden for us. But I think as we read Paul this morning, we can learn who learned from Jesus that instead of thrusting these things aside, we're called to embrace these things for the sake of another. Suffering, struggling, striving, enduring. See, these are paradoxically secrets to human connection and community. And Paul uses his sufferings to communicate to and convince the Colossians of his great love for them. 
and he gets his strength to rejoice because he sees something differently than us. He sees behind the curtain, if you will. He knows what's going on. He's got a a different angle, a different view than we might have when we're focused, insular in our sufferings. He knows that while suffering in the present might look like sadness, or it might look like pain, or it might look like grief, there's a story that's being shaped that would not be told if suffering hadn't occurred, and he perseveres through it for your sake. Suffering in this way is the kind of glue that forges and connects us as Christ's body. It may actually be the strongest form of glue, the strongest form of love that we will see on this side of eternity. So much so that as I've wrestled through this passage for the last couple weeks, I think suffering for the sake of another and the relationships it forms and the relationships it develops might be the closest thing to the kind of love that we will experience in heaven. Not that we'll suffer in heaven, that's not what I mean. But the intensity of love through suffering is the kind of pure, authentic, heavenly love that will be a continual experience for us for eternity for the people of God. And so that's the kind of richness that hits our hearts, that ought to hit our hearts as we read Paul's words here And that's the kind of love we ought to feel as we reflect on the good and perfect suffering work of Jesus on our behalf. So instead of seeing suffering as something to overcome, Paul rejoices in it and sees it as the secret and subtle virtue that actually is the strength of what it means to be a Christian. Again, too often, too often we mitigate suffering. We think Jesus did all the suffering, so now I don't have to. But that's not how Paul sees it. Paul, without his suffering, would not be the kind of apostle that the early church needed and who we need as an example today. His suffering and his perseverance, that's what makes him Paul. And I'm sure whatever you're dealing with, and suffering through as you cling to Christ and persevere, your suffering defines you and strengthens you to be more mature in Christ. And so suffering well in this way communicates to those around us something profound and something otherworldly. It's bizarre. It's peculiar. Why does that person suffer, yet they rejoice? That's one of the secrets to Christian living. I love how C.S. Lewis puts this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He's quoting uh, George MacDonald, who who was a mentor for Lewis. He says, The Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. Why would we want our sufferings to to be like Jesus's? That's, That's terrifying. But if we see what is accomplished and communicated through the suffering of Jesus, And here Paul sees that, and we see that through Paul. We start to get a glimpse of this heavenly perspective a little differently. Jesus didn't suffer so that we might not have to suffer. Jesus suffers and equips us to suffer to give us a glimpse at what kind of heavenly love we can look forward to experience in the future. Glimpse of that now. And now he's called Paul, and by extension, us, to suffer in such a way that we will bring honor to his name. John 
Chapter 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for a friend, for, for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. What is the most, what's the greatest form of love? When you suffer, when you lay down your life for the sake of another. So when we suffer in this way, we are presently communicating the kind of love we will experience eternally in heaven. So, I got through, now I rejoice in my sufferings. That's like a quarter of the first verse, but there's more here. Okay, so, but, and the reason we want to spend, we want to understand suffering is not this thing to avoid, but Paul enduring suffering suffering for your sake, and it's important to marinate in this message because it's really the foundation to this passage, and it's the foundation to Paul as an apostle. <clears throat> and, and, you know, he says, he says even more about that. Verse 25, he says that this is his stewardship from God. This is what he's called to. God gave to him this suffering for our sake to make the word of God fully known. And Paul doesn't make the word of God fully known by simply teaching through his writings, you know, writing this letter in prison to the Colossians. Paul makes the word of God fully known through his steadfast perseverance and sufferings, just as God sent his son in the, in the flesh so that we might fully know him, right? He didn't just send more prophets. He didn't just give us more teachers. He didn't just give us more writings. He gave us himself. He gave us his son, a present physical person we can know and interact with. So too, Paul makes the word of God fully known, not just by writing another encouraging letter, but by suffering and giving himself for the sake of the Colossians. And this brothers and sisters, is what he means by the oft-perplexing verse, verse 24. I'll read it again for you. Um, that says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and here's the part that can be confusing, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. We first read this, and we're like, the audacity of Paul, right? Is he saying Jesus is lacking something? Because that's, that's what it sounds like, right? What is he talking about? You know, did, did Paul think that, that Jesus didn't finish the work in some way? Is there something more to accomplish that we need to do in order to fill up the, the unfinished work of Jesus? Is that, is that what Paul means? Is that what he's saying? Of course not. We know that. Paul, we get most of our atonement theology from Paul. So clearly, Paul can't be meaning that. So what does he mean? And Because the language is kind of strange. You know, it, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is a strange way, at least to us, to communicate what I think Paul is saying here. And so let's, let's kind of look at this a little more. You know, if anything, Paul, let's, let's, let's think of his circumstances a little bit. If anything, in the, in the early first century, right, we have Jesus he, he, he lived his life, did his ministry. He had these apostles and disciples. He was sent to the cross to die. He resurrected. He sits now at the right hand of God the Father. He sends the Spirit. He transforms Paul. And now Paul claims to be a slave of the gospel. And because of his faithfulness to the gospel, he's sitting in prison and he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, 
He wants to build them up. He wants to encourage them in Christ. And so if I ask you, what has Paul done that Jesus has not done, humanly speaking, right, earthly speaking, what would it be? Paul is sitting in prison, writing a letter to the church of Colossae. And the way it's, the way it's phrased here is a little bizarre, right? But, but really all Paul is saying is that our mission, our suffering, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he just is saying it's not something unrelated or unnecessary to God's story, but rather this is how God intentionally designed our journey, that Jesus, beginning the story, carving the path, setting the way, continues his story in the life of the church. That's, that's what Paul is saying. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions because I'm here presently now with you, writing to you. I am finishing what Jesus started in that Jesus intended to start this movement, this church movement that carries his message forward. And yes, the finished work of Christ did happen on the cross. Paul is not saying that, but the suffering, the presence of a person suffering in someone's midst That's what Jesus equips us to do because Jesus has raised up little Christs that are present in this world for the sake of the world. It is a way of of saying that Jesus rules through the extension of his followers, that we are the hands and feet and equips them to do his work, but multiplicatively. Man, I knew I would screw up on that word. Do his work multiplicatively. Let's look how Paul explains this in other parts of um, his writings. Look, look at, uh, I'll read to you, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7. <clears throat> First, let me drink here. So 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, this is word again, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Again, always for another. That's Paul's MO, Jesus' MO as well. Always for another. So if we are comforted, it's for your comfort. And here's a, here's a really cool part. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So they are to experience comfort when they patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. There's this language of, of suffering and comfort, and they're, you know, they're, they're intricately woven together. And he goes on further in Corinthians, that, that was 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in, in chapter 4, he says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And then finally, for other scripture references, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 12 says, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we suffer with him, 
we will also reign with him. So Paul can say that in his flesh, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions because Jesus always intended his story of suffering to continue through the church. Not not Jesus suffered so I don't have to, but Jesus suffered so now we get to and we get to in the way that Jesus laid out for us. And if we follow the logic of these passages, uh, in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Timothy, in Colossians 1 this morning, then we will see that there is this amazing union, perplexing, strange union that we have and share in Christ. That in our suffering, we actually experience life like he did. And in our suffering, we actually experience comfort because he did. And if we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings and abundantly in Christ's comfort, and I think then the only conclusion we can come to is you can't have one without the other. You can't have comfort without the suffering. You cannot have life without death. And this is Jesus' message, and this is Paul's message, which is why he can rejoice in his sufferings, because he knows it's through the suffering that life is found. You cannot separate these two things, which is why the quote from Lewis in The Problem of Pain hits us so hard, because we instinctually want to say that Jesus suffered so I don't have to. He did all the work. But if we know that the pathway to, to life is through suffering, if the pathway to union with Christ is suffering and dying to self, then to not suffer like Jesus did means that we will not reign like Jesus reigned, and we will not have life like Jesus has life. And I don't know about you, but I want that Jesus life. I want that eternal life that he has with his Father. And so this is why suffering is not the obstacle and is not to be avoided, but is the avenue of maturity, or toward maturity in Christ. So Paul, as an apostle, acts as this extension of Christ's sufferings in the world, and we are the beneficiaries of that suffering so that, right, so that we can be the benefactor for another's. That this beautiful picture of of the church and doing for the sake of, for your sake, Paul says in here three or four different times, for your sake, now gets applied to us that we then suffer for your sake, for others' sake. So again, is Paul saying in verse 24 that there's a work on the cross that Jesus did not finish? Of course not, right? But what he is saying is that the story of Jesus that started continues with the church, it continues with Paul, it continues with you, It continues with me, and we carry the afflictions of Jesus into this world to show how radical the love of God is. And if you think the way Paul says it here is audacious, you know what's even a more audacious thing? That that the God of creation entrusts such a task to sinful humanity. If you think Paul is being extreme in his language here. It is more extreme that that God wouldn't just say, I'm going to send my perfect son. He's going to do it flawlessly. He'll fix the problem that you guys created, and, uh, and then we'll be done. Then we'll start new creation, and it'll be great. But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to, hear me out, hear me out. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make them new. I'm going to give them my spirit, and I'm going to actually equip them 
to do the good work as they share in the glory that I have with my son together. That is what's crazy. That Paul or God entrusts Paul to suffer to communicate what kind of God he is. I wouldn't do that if I were God. If I had Jesus going to earth to make things new, I wouldn't do that. But that's not the kind of God that we have. He wants to create a new creation in the image of his perfect son to carry his mission to the ends of the earth by the power of the Spirit. Jesus did indeed pay it all, but the story does not end on the cross and in the resurrection. That is the beginning of the story. And now the story continues through the life of the church. For Paul to say he's filling up what is lacking does not mean Jesus is lacking anything, but rather that Jesus has passed the responsibility to suffer for your sake onto his body, the church. Whereas Jesus took the burden on himself and by himself during his earthly ministry, by the power of the Spirit, we carry that burden of suffering for your sake into the world and and into the ends of the earth to show the world the kind of God we worship. And so this is what Paul calls the mystery. He says the mystery three times in verse 26, in verse 27, and in chapter 2, verse 2, which is another way of um, saying this uh, the revelation. It's a way of God revealing. It's from mystery and revelation. Apocalypse is all kind of bound up in the same, the same word. And he says this mystery is this glorious union that we have in Christ. It's Christ in you. It's the hope of glory, verse 27. And this mystery that is now revealed is what Paul wants captivating our imaginations. He wants it captivating the Colossians' imagination, and he wants it to guide them. Because for the Colossians, they were in danger, right? In the end of chapter, or the end of our section here, it says they were in danger of being deluded by plausible arguments. And Paul can't have that. Because if they're deluded by plausible arguments, then how, as he says in verse 28, how is he going to present everyone mature in Christ? His goal here is, I want to present every one of you mature in Christ, but they're being deluded by plausible arguments. And so Paul is trying to uh, equip them, get their imaginations going, tell them about this mystery that is Christ in you, the union that we share through suffering and death and life. Because the, the more the Colossians remove their eyes from the gospel, they remove their eyes from Jesus and his mission, the more appealing these plausible arguments will start to become. When I was at Dartmouth doing ministry, I used to always tell the students, you know, why do we read our Bible every day? It's not that like it's this like requirement and, and you just have to do it as a Christian. It's because there are plausible arguments that are attacking us every day. And unless we equip ourselves every day, every moment, fixing our eyes in the gospel, we will it's, it's almost as good as a promise. You will fall away if you do not fix your eyes on Christ. And so this is what Paul is worried and concerned about. This is why Paul's goal here is to equip the Colossians to be mature. Because if your roots are deep, if your roots are deep and you're suffering, well, you're going to hang on more clearly. But if your roots are not deep and you're not mature, any ounce of suffering is going to distance you from this message. 
And so this is why Paul is toiling and struggling, as he says in verse 29, so that others might know the everlasting joy that is found in Jesus. Paul will not let his suffering derail him from his mission. His larger purpose is to endure for the sake of the gospel, to endure for the Colossians. And I love how he puts it in verse 29, that Paul toils with all his energy. That's not Paul's energy. He says, for I, this I toil, struggling with all his energy, Jesus' energy, that he powerfully works within me. Going back to union again, this, this mystery, Christ in you. It's not Paul working, it's Jesus working through Paul. And that is the mysterious union and communion that we have with Jesus. Paul doesn't just endure in his suffering on sheer willpower. Some of us are good at that. I'm pretty good at just putting my head down and pushing through any difficult circumstance, but that's not what Paul is doing here. Paul, by faith and prayer, he's able to rejoice in his sufferings because he knows he's with Jesus so much so that it's Jesus working in him and not solely himself. And we hear this other parts of Paul as well. Like Philippians chapter 2 is a very, another, uh, very other um, um, important passage that talks about this. It says that in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so, not, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this union we have with Christ, you may mean we endure and carry a heavy burden, but it also means we share in the strength and the joy and the delight of Christ as well. Paul wants the Colossians to know Jesus. It's, it's, it's really as simple as that. And his main struggle has been here, and we see this in verse 1 of chapter 2, is he's worried that they're not going to endure because he hasn't seen them face to face. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Paul is like, man, they don't even know who I am. They have not seen me. They have not interacted with me. How can they possibly know how much I love them and care for them if they have not seen me? Well, Paul, it's by writing these amazing letters. That's how. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they, they get this, and he's like, I, he's struggling and toiling. He wants them to know his great love for him. He knows that Zoom calls just don't cut it, right? They just don't. After a while, we need to be in, back in person. Paul knows this. We know this too, especially after the last few years, that so much can be missing when we're not together. And he deeply, deeply longs for them to know Jesus and not just know Jesus, right? But he wants the Colossians to reach all the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Man, I wish I talked like that. He wants them to know the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he's adamant about the Colossians to know Jesus intimately because it's in Jesus that all these good treasures are found. And when we receive these treasures and hold fast to the gospel that Paul proclaims, we have access to this ultimate 
wisdom and knowledge. And this is what is going to sustain us because this is what is sustaining Paul and his sufferings. Paul understands this mystery as an apostle. Again, his eyes have been open. He's seeing behind the curtain. He knows what's going on. He gains his strength from this mystery and refines his mission from this mystery that the, the God of the Bible didn't just launch his son on a rescue mission to sweep everything up, dust off his hands and say, I'm done, that was easy. But rather, he welcomed us into this mysterious union to share in his work. Paul loves the Colossians church and wants them to stand firm in their faith He wants them to bask in the mystery of knowing Jesus, basking in the strength we have to persevere in Jesus so that they may not be deluded. That the joy of knowing Jesus will outshine any and every competing perspective that comes their way because I can assure you, your circumstances will get hard and there will be times in the road before you that you think things are hopeless and you will feel alone And these plausible arguments that Paul warns against, they will come at you as friends and allies and try to convince you that their way is better and maybe easier. Paul, you've worked hard enough. I mean, you're in prison. Just rest a bit. Let it go. Come on, Paul, you got this thorn in your side. God God doesn't want you to, to, to push any harder. You're fine. Just Just be done. Just be done. Maybe God just wants you to quit. The Corinthians? Come on, Paul. They're, they're messed up. Why would, you even, why would you even care about them? They're so far gone. You're, they're never going to get their act together. They're not worth your time. The Colossians? I mean, they haven't even seen you. So if you don't write this, they're not going to care. They're not going to care that you, uh, whether, whether you write this letter to them or not. They don't, even, they don't even know that you care this much. So just let it go. I don't know about you. Those are there's some plausible arguments when you're suffering to not have to do an extra thing. But Paul, as we know him, as we know him, if he didn't endure through his suffering, we wouldn't have the letters we have today. We wouldn't know Jesus in at least the way that Paul knows Jesus today. So then the question goes back to you. What are your struggles? Where are you suffering? And how do your sufferings convince you that these plausible arguments might be more attractive than the gospel? And I don't think, I'm never one to say like, oh, suffering in the Bible is only when you're being persecuted for the faith. I don't think that at all. I don't want to rank our sufferings. I don't want to just relate it to persecution. I think we all have the things that will try and derail our faith. And so Paul's model here, I think, is useful no matter where we're at in our life. And so I think when we suffer, the key question, I think, to ask ourselves is, is there anything I can rejoice in? Is there anything that that I can bring into the grander gospel story and use as a testament to God's faithfulness? to what he's called me in the gospel. And it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're children, teenagers, adults, parents, grandparents. Life is hard at each step of the way, whether you have difficulties at school, 
struggling with an illness or a particular diagnosis, whether you're struggling financially or you're dealing with grief in one way or another, Paul wants us to cling to the much greater mission of Jesus and understand this mystery that we have in Christ, Christ in you. You're not alone in the suffering. You have Jesus who, you know, sympathizes with you and understands you. You have one another that we can be present with and cry with and share in each other's difficulties and burdens. You can rejoice in your sufferings because what is meant to break you is actually your biggest strength in the gospel. That as we suffer and endure by faith, not shifting our eyes from the good news of Jesus, we're showing the power of God to those around us to encourage and uplift the brothers and sisters and for others to scratch their head and say, how how do you do that? How do you do that? And I think, to close up here, I think that if that's the way we view our sufferings, then Paul would say about us, they have been presented mature in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Paul's vulnerability in his sufferings, being in prison, being beaten for the sake of the gospel. And I do pray that as we suffer in whatever way we suffer, in whatever draws us down and keeps us closed in, that we may, we may lift those things up to you. And may you strengthen us, Lord, to not hide our sufferings, but to be open about them for the sake of the body. And that may you equip us and strengthen us, being firmly rooted in your gospel, that we may not cower, but we may rejoice. This is hard, and it really does take a body to support us. So I pray for this body. I pray for um, us in the, the CSRA that we may be Christians who walk out in this way, not avoiding and dodging suffering, but realizing that when we suffer, that's where true life is found because that's how you exemplified it for us, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.